Hello everybody, welcome back to Burger Bounce Series 2. Today it's our series finale and we're absolutely thrilled to welcome two Michelin starred chef Daniel Clifford. Daniel was so generous with his time, so it's a super long one today guys. Grab a cup of something and get comfy. Hello Daniel. Hello, how are you? Thank you so much for giving me the time and doing this. It's an honour, let's go for it. I start with everyone, which is their child, people's childhood food, okay. because I, I just find it so interesting. And I think there's always an element that people can connect with, that there's always like a common kind of ground. Well, most of the time, there's always like a common ground with like what people ate in their childhood. So can you tell me, like, where did you grow up and so, what were you kind of eating when you were a kid? So um, uh, I grew up in Canterbury in Kent. Cool. Um, my, uh, I was... Uh, I've had quite a strange upbringing. My dad and my mum split when I was three. My dad has been married a few times, so I grew up with various women in my life. Um, food was never a big subject. My dad worked mental hours, so we didn't really see him, mm -hmm. so we were brought up by his partner. And to be honest with you, it was turkey burgers, uh, fish and chips on Friday. Uh, food wasn't a massive impact. I, I was very skinny at school. Um, used to sell my packed lunch to buy cigarettes. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, for a pound back in them days, you could buy a packet of uh, 10 Benson Hedges, a box of matches and a Twix, and I sort of lived on a Twix for uh, the rest of the day. <laughs> Food didn't really make an impact until uh, work experience. When mm -hmm. I went for my work experience, I uh, went to Canterbury University, one of the colleges. We'd cook for like a 1,000 people a day. And it wasn't the food that grabbed me, it was the atmosphere in the kitchen, mm -hmm. it was the teamwork, and then it was, wow, it was like the first time I had curry. I had a curry cooked by an English chef. I'd never had a curry before. I, I had Chinese food, we hadn't, my parents hadn't taken me out for mm. Chinese. So it all started to click into place when I left school. And it's, now I'm fascinated by it. I, I just think, if you can go somewhere where it's completely unusual and try something very different, I think you have to because life is uh, too short now. So you went to catering college? I went, uh, I left school at 15, yeah. so I left school at early because I went for my work experience and, and um, I got this report from the head chef and every single excellent box was ticked. And I took it home to my dad and I said, look dad, and, and my dad could not believe it. He, he's like, no, you didn't write this. <laughs> he said, you, 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 you faked this. <laughs> so then I went, my dad phoned the chef because he couldn't believe it because my school reports were terrible. I didn't, I didn't go to school, I hated it. And then, um, so my dad said to the head chef, he said, well, will you give him a job? And the bloke said, yeah, yeah, of course we would. Daniel was amazing. So my dad wrote to the school, I left school early, started work. Uh, I went from a paper round earning £5.50 to earning £140 a week. Wow. And this was like in... Uh, You're like a millionaire. Yeah, 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 yeah. In, uh, <laughs> This was in uh, 1989. So it was big money back then. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I could go out and buy my first pair of Jordans. I could go out and buy my first tracksuit. And suddenly uh, I was cycling to work. So I had and I was living at home. And my dad couldn't believe it. And I did about a year there, and they enrolled me into uh, catering college, and I was going one day a week there, doing five days a week at work. But it was straight shifts, so it was like you either did the morning or you did the evening. And I, I started to uh, 
like really get into it, understanding how chickens were cooked. And you know, for the first month, I was like the toast boy. I, I would grill like 24 loaves of bread in the morning to stand <laughs> on this rotation toaster. But then the more I got into it, I was at college and we were in a class for about 24 kids. And some of them were coming from good restaurants in Kent. And I was looking around me and thinking to myself, well, he knows how to fillet a fish. He knows how to make a sauce. All I really know how to do is toast and fry eggs because I was working in this industrial kitchen. So I went home one afternoon and I said to my dad, I said, Look, you know, if I'm going to progress, I've got, I've got to do something about this. Yeah? Because where I'm working, I'm getting paid really good money, but I wanted to learn more. So I wrote to all the restaurants in the area and I wrote to a place called uh, Howfield Manor, which had a really good reputation, but it was, it was like, it was a little bit out of Canterbury. So um, went for the job interview, got the interview, left the place I was working after a week and I worked with a chef called Andrew Leach and um, there was four of us in the kitchen. We all did five days a week so the, uh, most of the time there was three of us then on Saturday there was four of us and it was, uh, he'd come from London, he'd worked at the Ritz, he'd worked at the Connell, he was old school, he knew mm. how to do it and we couldn't cook the food that he'd cooked before because the area wasn't ready for it but he would buy a lobe of foie gras and he'd make reduction sauces and and I was like, fascinated by it. And he said to me, after two years of working with him, he said, Daniel, for you to progress, you've got to move. So at the age of 17, I left, uh, left home and never went back. This is really young. It's, yeah. it's really young. Really like, young I'm yeah. actually quite surprised yeah. that how 15 and then do. And actually, you know, to be that young and put, get your head down and kind of and crack on with it is quite well, it was that a prison? <laughs> that, 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 that's the honest truth. I'll be honest with you. I, 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 the last two years, so 13 to 15, I did not go to school. I used to go in, check in, and then I'd leave, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't go back for the rest of the day. And um, my dad was at his wit's end, and you know, my dad was working serious hours, and I had, um, there was nothing that grabbed me. There was nothing, mm -hmm. going to school and getting told that my English wasn't great or my history wasn't great, and I had no attention, there was no focus on it. And it's funny, it's something that I've been talking to my staff and to my partner about is they've changed the education rules in this country where kids have to be educated till they're 18 now and what I find really interesting it's something that has been playing on my mind for the last two months now is if that was me you wouldn't have lasted I wouldn't have lasted no. so where would yeah. have I ended up yeah and I look back on it now and I'm asking myself the question is is this fair on every child because mm. I don't think it's fair that Yes, people are academic, but some people just aren't. I would say, you know, there's a high proportion of kids that aren't academic. Well, I would say it's got to be 30, 40%. Yeah, I mean, and not everybody is, can how, sit there and do it. But and do how are we making exams. them feel by making them have an education until they're mm. 18? Now, mm. you know, I've got five kids myself, and three of them are at that university age, and one of them didn't go, my second one did, my third one is going to go. Yeah. But I asked myself the question of, of um, when I was 15, I was a sponge. Mm. I wanted information. I was learning things. I was learning to taste. I was learning what seasoning was. I was learning what acid did. I learned how to cook spinach properly. I learned how to peel a potato, how to cook a potato. You know, mashed potato is, is a thing of beauty if it's done properly, mm -hmm. but people don't understand how to do it because they're scared of cooking because cooking is an art form. Mm. But, and I think to myself, if, I'd, if I took them three years of, of my so-called childhood, you know, I was working in a one-star when I was 17 and a half. 
And, and I'll be honest with you, from there, that was like my drug. And it was like, right, okay, we did six days a week, it didn't matter. If I did seven days a week, it didn't matter. I, I would go home every three months. I'd drive down from Yorkshire. I'd go and see my parents. I'd see my, uh, see my because obviously my parents were split. So I'd spend one day with one, one day with the next. And I'd be in the car going home again. But the thing is, I was driven. Mm. And I was driven to success. And I was driven to take in as much information as I could and then move on next and the next job by 21 I was in France learning learning uh, I couldn't speak a word of French okay right so how let's just how did you get from so you were in Yorkshire Yorkshire yeah. and so and then you from there you were in no then I went to so my career started is in Canterbury in the university. Yeah. Then I went to a restaurant in Aylesbury called the uh, Bella Ashton Clinton, which was with a chef called David Cavalier, one star Michelin. So, and then the sous chef from there was leaving, and he was going to the Box Tree in Ilkley. Okay. Yep. So the Box Tree used to be. It was the first ever two Michelin starred restaurant mm. in this country, and it was owned by um, two guys. And they were obsessed with food in France. They travelled all the time. And the way they made their money is they were antique uh, salesmen as well. And what they did is when they had a good month, they bought art. When they had a bad month, they sold art. And what happened is they run the box tree for about 25 years and then they got old and they decided they were going to sell it. So the box tree never... um, It was reopened by a woman called Madame Avis, who was this Greek... um, she was a multi-multi-millionaire and she had a hotel in Ilkley and she reopened the box tree and the sous chef from where I was working, the bell, had been uh, scouted for the job and he said to me, Daniel, will you come to Yorkshire? And um, I was like, well, it's the box tree. It's like two Michelin stars, I've got to go. Mm. So I left and then Madame Avis fell out with the head chef after three months and she brought Marco in. Yeah, okay. And... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That was like, you know, I'd read the book. I'd read the book when I was 16, and it was the, only, it was the first book I ever read cover to cover, Marco's mm. White Heat. It's yeah. not really a cookery book. It's more no. of pictures, and it had all these heroes in it, like Phil Howard, Gordon was in it, Steve Terry was in it. And, you know, it was one of those books that, as a chef, you're fascinated by it. And um, when Marco came to the box tree, it was like God walking through the door. I was like, wow, this, this guy's he's in the papers all the time. He's like the most up and coming. It's like he was a rock star, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. And um, so he bought his head chef from London, Michael. Um, that lasted six months. Then he fell out with Madame Avis. And then his best friend was a guy called Simon uh, Gwella. And Marco phoned the main kitchen that night, halfway through service. And he said, right, OK, you're all leaving tonight. Like, what do you mean, Marco? He said, well, I've fallen out of Madame Avis, all of you have got to leave. And in them days, Marco was the figurehead of the industry. So if Marco said, jump, you asked him how high. So I said to him, right, okay, well, so where am I going? He said, well, you're going to go to a restaurant in, um, in Harrogate called Miller's with my friend for six months while I, I'm making some changes in London, then you're going to come down to Harvey's. So I went to work for Simon. Simon was an amazing cook. And he had a restaurant called Miller's at that time, and it was 24 covers, me and him in the kitchen. So it was literally, he would do all the fish, all the meat, he would make all the tarts, he would, he, and, and I would do all the smaller jobs. And 
the more he trusted me, the more he'd... So, you know, one, one, one afternoon I was in the kitchen, he'd gone home and the fish delivery came and, and I, after about 15 minutes of trying to convince myself to do it, I started to fish prep and when he came back, he sort of went mental, but then he looked and he said like, well, okay, it's all right. <laughs> and, and, and that trust started to build where he would give me more and more and more. And then Marco phoned and said, right, Daniel, we're uh, relaunching Harvey's. Do you want to come back? Like, yeah, of course I do. So I went to London for six months. That was um, probably the most nervous I've ever been in a kitchen, most scared, but also uh, the most, the food was, it was just perfect in my eyes. And it was just like, this was the person I had to work for. And I, in lots of ways, I'd looked at his book when I was 16 and now at 18, I'm working for him. And it's like, right, okay. And then I went to a restaurant in the South uh, down near Limington called uh, the Provence. It was a one-star Michelin restaurant. The chef was a guy called Toby Hill. And um, I did two years there. And um, I, I'd been promoted then. I was like chef to party on the meat. Because in a kitchen you have, you have areas. So you start as a commie chef. And then you get uh, you get first commie. If it's a big if it's a big kitchen, you get first commie. Then you get demi chef de party, which means you're in charge of a section. But a demi is like you normally have a chef de party, and then you have a chef de party which runs the section. So you'll have a section in the kitchen. You'll have the meat. You'll have the fish. You'll have the vegetables, which is called the garnish, the larder, the pastry. And I was chef de party on the meat, and I'd never cooked meat. I'd taken this job and I'd never cooked meat. I was like, really, am I gonna be able to do this? I'd worked the garnish section for Marco, really nervous. But I'd gone down there, I'd proved myself, I'd done the meat, I'd got promoted to junior sous chef. So that, that was like third in the kitchen. And, and I was like probably 19, 20 at this point. And uh, the whole front of house was French. And every weekend we'd go out drinking and, and having a laugh. and. Uh, I used to say, oh, I'm going to go to France, I'm going to go to France. Because in White Heat, Marco's book, Marco had always said that France was the finishing school. And I was like, right, okay, I've got to go to France. Yeah, obviously. This. So I sat down and I wrote to every three-star and every two-star in France. Handwritten letters in French. I was dating a French lady at this time, so she... Had, handy. Yeah, yep. she ended up being my wife, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, that was very handy. But she, she obviously wrote one letter out, and then I hand-copied it, and uh, I wrote the 68 letters I wrote. And um, I'd put the responses going to my dad because I didn't want the chef to know, because I was living in-house at that point, and I didn't want the chef to know. And all of the, um, the responses started to come back, but obviously my dad doesn't speak French, yeah? So all these letters are coming so back in. What's, yeah, yeah, what's yeah, my dad's got on? no, no yeah. idea. So every weekend I would phone uh, on a Sunday, I would phone and my girlfriend would uh, like sort of translate and then, then my dad would fax the letter over to the post office and it would be like, so anyway, I got four responses back positive. The rest were like, no, no, we don't employ English people. So... I made contact with this restaurant in France called Jean Bardet. It was two Michelin stars, 19.5 Gaunt Milou, which was like the best of the best. Relais Chateau, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to France. And uh, yeah, got, I left, I put my notice in, left, got on the ferry with my girlfriend, both went to France and uh, yeah, ended up in a kitchen where I couldn't speak a word. And I'll be honest with you, it was probably the scariest I've ever been because 
I hadn't realized what I'd done. I hadn't realized I couldn't speak French. I walked into a kitchen. I think the head chef who was the owner was on holiday for that first week and the sous chef didn't even know that I was coming. Oh no. And uh, that's just Oh, it's, it's just, just awful. Yeah, 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 yeah it's awful. making me just cringe just even thinking of that. Absolutely awful. So they put me in the corner. And then when the chef came back, he was uh, I started I started in the October. So the chef came in and uh, after a week and he put his arm around me and he 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 had broken English because I couldn't communicate. So he's like, oh, you know, I worked at the Savoy and all of this. And he was, I, little did I know he was a massive drinker. And he used to do a bottle of wine before lunch. And it wow. was, uh, he got better as the wine went, as the wine flowed, he actually got nicer <laughs> as a person. So we'd encourage it. But I'll be honest with you, I think um, the French side of my life, it made me because it made me focus and it made me feel really, really clear. And this is why I'm now starting to really question um, education in a lot of ways because I was educated in France by my hands, by my vision, Mm -hmm. by not communicating. Mm -hmm. So the checks would be called on and the way that, you know, the chef stands at the pass, this kitchen was massive, there was 25 of us, he'd have a microphone and he would call the orders out by microphone and I was like standing there and the worst bit is I had a Japanese commie chef that worked for me who didn't speak English and he couldn't speak French. I couldn't speak French and there's no way that I was ever going to learn to speak Japanese. So we communicated by our hands and the checks would come on. I would make him run down there and write down what was on order. And then we would listen to what was away and then we'd both cook. And it was strange because there was a three-star chef came for dinner once. And, and my girlfriend at the point, who was the French lady, she had become the chef's PA. Because restaurants in France didn't employ ladies. Okay. Because it was a real, it was it was how restaurants work. Okay. So she was working for nothing for the chef for a PA. And uh, she'd come in the kitchen because he'd called her in, and uh, they were talking to this three-star chef, and she'd uh, overheard the chef saying to the three-star chef, "Ah, oh, the most the most positive and driven person I have is this English lad, yeah." And it's funny because. Gordon Ramsay was working for Guy Sauvard, who was the freestyle chef at that point. Okay. So Gordon was working for uh, this freestyle guy. I was working for the two-star guy. And they were both standing there saying, these two English lads we've both got are absolutely, you know, I wish everyone was like that. And then I went home and obviously uh, my girlfriend told me that, um, oh, the chef thinks you're really, really good. Anyway, so I, I did France. Uh, I got a job in a, in a different freestyle called Mark Minot when I was at the two-star. And, um, but a friend of mine, Simon, had phoned me up and said, right, I'm opening Rascas. Would you like to join me? And I was like, oh, you know, sous chef position in England. It's, uh, I know Simon. I know he wants to get a star. You know, it's a 140-colour restaurant. There's never been a restaurant of that calibre in the north before. So I came back. Drove all the way to Yorkshire, uh, did, did a day with him, and just fell in love with it. And I just thought to myself, right, okay, well, England's calling again. So I came back to the UK, worked for Simon for two and a half years. That was the craziest time I've ever been in a kitchen. It was proper. This was uh, 96 to 98, and it was the Marco era had flooded the UK, and aggression was 
at the top of its peak in kitchens. We lost 197 staff in the first year there. Wow. And it was just like, and it was, it was like joining the SAS. It felt like the harder it was, the more turned on I got. The, the, the chef would be standing there shouting and shouting and shouting. And I, I, and I sort of built up this, this resilience to it where I just thought to myself, now I'm going to be better than you, now I'm going to be better than you. And he'd like go through my fridge and he'd throw mm. my sauces on the floor and just constantly on my back. And I, I used to think to myself, you know, I'm going to be better than you, I'm going to be better than you. And then I, I bought a house in Leeds. I was on probably, I think, probably 14 and a half, 15 grand at this time. So it weren't great money. No. And I uh, bought a house, uh, been promised that we were going to open up a chain of seven hotels and I was going to be the, the group chef of these seven hotels and things were really, prospects were really looking good. And then one night I just thought to myself, I'm giving him everything here. I'm running the kitchen. I'm writing the dishes, I'm, I'm writing the menu, we'd won a star, we'd won uh, Outside London Restaurant of the Year, we'd won uh, the Good Food Guide uh, Restaurant of the Year, we'd won uh, Yorkshire Post Restaurant of the Year. There was nothing else to win in this massive restaurant. Mm. And um, the chef went on holiday and the chef's business partner took me into the office and offered me the chef's job. But I was really good friends with the chef, okay. even though he'd given me a real hard time. We were close. Yeah. And um, the chef was on holiday and I just thought to myself, right, okay, I can't really, uh, I can't do this. So I put my notice in and then I found uh, an advert in the catering magazine. It used to be the caterer. And it's still, it's still going, but it's nothing like it used to be. It used to be. Is that like the yellow pages? Yeah, of yeah. Like it used, chef yeah, jobs, yeah but it was, it, was, it was like, if you were in the caterer, you'd made it. And the back used to be pages and pages of jobs. But all the best places would advertise there. And... Um, there was a P.O. box one, and it just said, do you want to run your own restaurant? So I sent my CV, got a phone call, and it was my business partner. And uh, So at that point when you were just saying that you were doing all this work, and it, like you said, it was for someone else, there was that thing in your head that was like, you know what, I can do this myself. I yeah, can, yeah I naively, can, I can. yeah. Well, it obviously wasn't. No, well, no, but, no, I'll be totally know, honest with you, I think, uh, um, look, I was... How old were you at that point? 25. Yeah, it's young. Massively young. I, I, and I think when you're young, you think you're old, not scared. right? And then when you get older, you realise how young you were. So I just think... You know, like now you're probably like, oh, wow, I was really young. Well, I, I see but, chefs in my kitchen that are 25, and I think to myself, there's no way that they could open a restaurant. But I think because I started so young... You had all that experience. But I had no fear. I had nothing to lose. That's youth I, as I well. Had, but I had no children. I had mm. no... Uh, I had no outgoings. It was literally, right, okay, um, yeah, I can do this. And then we found Midsummer, and then uh, I had half an hour to look round this. Come all the way down from Yorkshire to have a look. Had a quick scout round, and um, I thought, yeah, yeah, I can do something with this. It's brilliant. So put my notice in, moved to Cambridge, still had my house in Yorkshire, moved here. I didn't have a lot of money because I was still paying my mortgage in Yorkshire. So I moved into a garage, and it was, I didn't, little did I know, it was up near uh, McDonald's on Newmarket Road, but behind, quite a rough area. And this converted garage that I'd moved into with, with my wife at this point, because we'd got married when I was in Yorkshire. It was a French lady. And um, the day I opened, 
So I came, I had two weeks, to, two weeks to get it clean, tidy and sorted out and find some staff. And uh, the day we opened, my business partner phoned me and said, right, Daniel, he said, uh, we've got six months to make this work, yeah. I was like, what do you mean six months? I said, I've just moved to the area. Well, you know, six months, we need to financially make it stable. Like, right, okay. I had Michael Winner for dinner, who was like the worst food critic in mm, the UK at that mm. point. My wife had walked in the door and told me she was pregnant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we were mixing the bread and the Hobart, I don't know why, but I'd put it on top of the fridge. God, for space saving, because the kitchen was tiny then. And um, the Hobart had been going and going and going. I think I was on the phone or something at that point, and the Hobart had fallen off the thing and smashed into bits, yeah. And like smashed a hole in the floor. And it was like, right, things do come in freeze. <laughs> and you're just standing back and you're asking yourself the question on opening night, this is gonna be a disaster. Got a glowing report from Michael Winner. It was absolutely amazing. And um, obviously, uh, we had a baby and uh, my wife was meant to be working in the front. So that had all been put on hold because she'd, she'd become, um, she was obviously pregnant. So I was sort of felt a little bit lost. I was like doing this on my own when we were meant to be doing this mm. together. And then it sort of become very addictive then, didn't it? And it was like, right, okay, it was six days a week. I was here every day. Mm. I was pushing, I was pushing. And I think, I think in lots of ways I was too young because I was very naive and very, um, my, my attitude was, it was a learned behaviour. So I'd learned how people had treated me and I'd pe treated people the way that... So, like, as in, like, in that, I was rough. that kitchen environment? It was, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, yeah. Was, I was horrible. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I wasn't a very nice person at yeah. all. And, um, you know, we used to open for Sunday lunch and... and I don't think people should work Sundays. I think Sundays is a day where you should be off. Mm. And it was always stuck in my head. And Sundays I used to be awful, awful. Because you're so tired from Saturday night. And I'd come in, I'd be aggressive, I'd be horrible. And it took me a long time to realise why that was. It was therapy. Like I went to therapy in the end yeah. to stop it. Because... Um, this is this is awesome that you're talking about this. Oh, I, think I just this think it's really I just, important, I just, especially because you're so inspirational for so many young people. Well, people chefs. don't understand it, and I think being vocalising and talking about it's it is amazing. Learned, it's learned behaviour. Yeah, it's, it's how you're trained. It's um, you know you are so young and you're so you're you, you're a sponge. So you're just taking information. You're taking information. You don't know any different. You think that's how kitchens are run. Yeah. And you run it the same way. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's not until you're 35 years old, standing in a kitchen on your own, asking yourself, I can't keep doing this, mm. because you're actually, your attitude is holding the restaurant back. You might have achieved all this amazing stuff, but your attitude, you can't do it on your own. And the, 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 the quicker you realise that, the better off you are. Mm. I'm in a very luxurious position. I've put myself in a position now where I don't need to be here. I am here yeah. every single day and I'm here for the benefit of the business. I'm here because I see things that no one else sees because I know this place. Like the back of your hand, yeah. Exactly. I've built it. Yeah, yeah. I've concreted the floors, I've put the fences up, I've painted the walls, I've, I've laid the ceilings, I've done everything because I had no finances. Mm. I had nothing. We, we opened this on a shoestring. It felt like a shoestring for 20 years. You know, I'd make, the second year I was here, we made, I think we made 3,000 pound profit. 
and uh, I'd bought a house by this point. I'd sold my house in Leeds, bought a house, but we needed some new windows. And uh, I went home and I said to my wife at that point, I said, oh, we've made three grand, yeah? She said, oh, that's good, we can get some windows. I said, yeah, but I really need a packer jet. And she was like, what's a packer jet? I said, well, it's an ice cream machine. <laughs> but it, it, it sort of churns ice cream, like, really quickly. Is that more important than windows, Daniel? Well, yeah, I think it is, yeah. Mm. I think it really is. It's going to push the restaurant forward. And I think that's, this has always been number one. And it's cost me my relationship. It's cost me uh, lots of, uh, I've missed a lot of family get-togethers, uh, relationships with my family. They're good, but they would, I'm not the normal brother. Mm. I'm not the normal uh, cousin. I'm not the normal un uncle. Yes, they see me sometimes on the TV, but they never actually see me real life. Mm. I think my children now, which I'm incredibly lucky because when I separated with my partner, I made, I took every second weekend off and I did that for my kids. So I used to take Friday night off, Saturday, and obviously I'd had Sunday and Monday off. So I would spend that weekend with the children. And it's the children and the therapy that made the change. Yeah. Because you can't, scre you can't scream at your kids. Uh, yeah, and, and your kids are more honest than anyone. They will say, Dad, you know, if, if they cooked with me at home, they'd say, well, why are you getting so upset? Well, girls, the sausages aren't cooked properly. Yeah, but what does matter. it matter? Yeah. What does it matter, Dad? Well, it matters to me. Mm. Yeah, but it matters to you, but it doesn't matter to us. Mm. But you have to learn to separate life. You have mm. to understand that, you know, that understanding and growing up, and it is about growing up, and yeah. it's understanding yourself, yeah, and it's understanding that, you know, what is the point of shouting at someone? You're not going to get anything out of them. You're just going to make them tighten up. You're making mm. them, you know, I don't like being shouted at. No mm. one likes it. Yeah, that is. It's what, what delivering that to someone because you're this so-called boss. But yeah, that is, I don't believe that is the way forward. So I've completely changed as a human. I, I, I've accepted that. My relationship with my kids is better than it's ever been. I think now they're starting to understand. When they were at school, they didn't understand what I did. They just thought, mid they hated Midsummer. They thought Midsummer was this horrible place that actually... Because you're there all the time. Because I'm here all the yeah, time. Yeah. But now they're going to uni. Now they're... Yeah, their friends are, oh, I follow your dad on Instagram. Oh, I saw your dad yesterday. Because they never watched me. They, yeah. they refused to watch me. Yeah. Yeah? When, I, when I won the Great British Menu, I said to the girl, I said, oh, did you watch it? No. What do you mean you didn't watch loved it? Loved that. We watched that. Loved that. The Great British Menu used to, I'm not being me but now. I messed that up as well. I know, but now we, I don't watch that now. But I remember a few years ago when it was like... It had the proper boys on it. Oh, then. I used to love that. Yeah. Do you know who... You obviously know everyone. Yeah. But do you know who I loved on that? Nigel Howarth, is it? Yeah, Nigel, yeah. Um, I just loved it. Lancashire Hot Pot. We ended, yeah, we ended up going to his restaurant with my dad. Well, because we'd seen him. We went there with my dad. My dad lived up north at the time. And we went, drove to his restaurant to eat there because we'd seen yeah. him on there. And I just thought, he's just such well, a the, the, such this, guy. The, the, the Great British Menu was a turning point for Midsummer House. Really? Yeah, yeah, massively, massively. Uh, I got invited to do the first show. And this is how arrogant I was. The first year they did it, they came to, and they, they phoned up and it was a, it was a bit weird. And yeah, you, you take things with a pinch of salt and they said, oh, we want to come up. On, and they wanted to do an interview on the 24th, Christmas Eve. Yeah? And we closed on the 23rd. And back in them days, 
this is when Mark Poynton worked for us yeah. and me show whatever like the Propage Cambridge that the, they were that was the team of teams but we had um, we'd worked all the way through December and I'd sort of brushed it off I was like, oh, no. they wanted me to cook two dishes but we deep cleaned the kitchen the place was locked down for it's two like weeks yeah. I was this the 24th was Christmas has started for me yeah so and my kids were small then and they came in, they did an interview, oh, are you going to cook? No, I'm not going to cook anything, no, no, we've closed down, yeah. So I didn't get the part, yeah, I didn't get the job. And I'm pleased I didn't, because I wasn't ready for it. But then a few years later, they contacted me again, and I'll be honest with you, I was a bit slow, I didn't really understand what the Great British Menu was. It took me a couple of years to get right, because the first time I went down there, I was like arrogant, I was a dick, I did dishes off the menu, and... Uh, I didn't do very well and then the next time I went down there I sort of understood the concept but you sort of think it's about you it's not until you realize it's actually got nothing to do with you you are just one part of the cog mm -hmm. and if the production don't like you if the rest of the contestants don't like you but also the people that's watching out at home don't yeah, like yeah. you and when I won it well that took us doing 10 covers for lunch to fall for lunch and the worst bit is, is it's Mark, my head chef now. Because he's been on it as well. He's won it yeah. as well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah that is. <laughs> Mark's lucky that he watched me go through the grind. And then when he came to do it, it was I'll, we'll go to that in a minute. But I was away. I was away. I was cooking in London in a place called The Cube. And it had all been pre-booked for like a year prior. And I was cooking on the rooftop of the, uh, the festival hall. And... Um, I'd won the Great British Menu. The final was on the Friday. I was away the following week. And then I came back to Midsummer House and I walked in. And I'd been in London. I, I walked in about half past 11, quarter to 12. And uh, I was talking to the manager in the garden. How many have we got for lunch? 55, chef. What do you mean 55? What do you mean 55? We've never done 55. And um, anyway, service started. Walked into the kitchen. And I turned around to Mark and I said, what is going on? And he said, chef, we are full for the next three months. I said, what do you mean full? And, and I looked at the checkboard and I looked at the way the kitchen was running and I was just like, this is not my restaurant anymore. I felt slightly like I'd been pushed out a little bit, mm. but also like this beast had arrived and I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. And we, were, we weren't ready for it. it was, the Great British menu had more impact than two Michelin stars. You'd think so you'd had to, you'd got you'd had so you've had two Michelin stars. I since had two stars since two thousand five. So when you were doing Great British menu, you already had the two stars. Yeah, two thousand eleven. I won it. Yeah, so you'd had the two stars, two stars for, six for six years. years. Yeah, but it was that that you it felt was, was the real. It was catalyst. a TV, TV presence. Yeah. It was that people are, people like you. When people like you. They want to come he to you. Yeah, yeah, nice. he's not. Two years nice prior guy. to that, when he was really horrible, <laughs> they were like, you, I was getting, the first year I got hate mail. <laughs> I, I got absolute hate mail. And, uh, That's so funny. Yeah, and, you, you, and the thing is, well, the first year, Mark was here, Mark Poynton, and um, we'd done all the dishes, and, and I'd been down, cooked it, and I knew the outcome. They knew the outcome because I told them. And we sat down and we watched the starter episode before dinner service started so it was Monday no it was Tuesday night and we sat down and we were all having dinner and it came on and we used to have a TV in the private room so we were sitting there and silence and we are watching it and we are watching it and watching it and people are leaving the room people are leaving the room Mark's still here <laughs> and I said to him what do you think 
yeah, it's all right, chef, that's, that's okay, isn't it? What do you think? I said, well, actually, I, I don't even think I want to work for him. I said, if I come across like that on the TV, I said, I must be an absolute nightmare. And it is, do you know what? When you look yourself in the mirror very clearly and you see something you don't like, you know it's time to change. And that, that really, I think the Great British Menu really helps me in lots of ways. Mm. It helps the restaurant, it helped me personally. I think um, it's not the show it was. No, I'm, 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 not being, I'm not being like mean about it. No, 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 it. no. I just look, feel look, personally, I, I, like you were saying, look, back when you, Marcus was on it and you had, all of these, it was. Look, you had. The, we tuned in every we, night. You to had that. the cream of the cream. You had the people that you didn't know. These two-star chefs, three-star yeah. chefs on the television, risking everything, cooking on their own. There was no hiding place. They didn't have a brigade of thirty You're behind at, them. That, I think that's key about that show. Actually, is it's you on your own. You don't. You can't hide. There's no. nowhere to hide. If you're not a good cook, if you're not a good chef, it's going to be so obvious. Of you're, and it you're is. with your peers. So there's pressure anyway. Oh God! Because you've there's got other people that you're like looking at, thinking. I remember dressing a plate in front of. I had Philip Howard two stars, Nathan Outlaw two stars, Aidan Byrne one star, Tom Aitkins two stars. There was eight of them, and I remember they'd put me up last. I was on the fish course. It was the dish that I wanted more than anything, and as I was dressing it, my hands were like, they were wobbling like jelly, and I remember thinking to myself, and one of them turned around and said, Daniel, you're shaking a lot, and I just turned around and said, it's because I care. Yeah. It's because this is, this is, this is the most unexpected environment that I've ever brought in. And I was with people that, like Philip Howard, he was a two-star chef way before me. Mm. He was an idol of mine. He was someone that I was like, wow, this guy is, he's, uh, he's the best of the best. Mm. I, was, I felt like a kid in front of him. And then when he's patting you on the back saying, Daniel, well done. Like, she's like, this is mad. It's yeah. madness. Yeah. It's like Liam Gallagher walking into the room. Yeah, I'd be like, jelly. I'd be like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, they, yeah. He is just human. Yeah. And that's the thing. Mm. It's... I'm quite a simple guy, I, I love work, I go home, I really don't do a lot, I stay at home a lot, I don't like answering the door, I, I'm quite a private person, but at work I think uh, I get the opportunity to express myself on a plate and that's when we do it. So how did you feel when you got your first star, like personally, obviously at that point you were pushing, like you were saying you were you know, working really, really hard and then you're like, you find out you've got your first star. Um, How, what was that well, like? It's four years in. Which again uh, is not, and I'll is be not honest that you, long, is it? Well, what a lot of people don't know is, I started here at 25, then first three or four years, there was so much to do to the building. There was so much to do. We, had, we didn't have plates, we didn't have crockery, we didn't have cutlery, we didn't have anything. It was just like a slow build, slow build, slow build. And I was getting more and more frustrated with it. I was like, you know, as I was putting my heart and soul, I was coming in on Sundays, making the terrines, you know, making all the ice creams, trying my absolute hardest to make it easier for people. And obviously trying to keep staff was very difficult because you didn't have any accolades then. And then it was funny that year, I remember it really clearly, is uh, one of my best mates phoned me. He said, have you phoned the Michelin? I said, no, 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 I'm in the middle of a stock take. I said, uh, we're not going to get a star. I said, look, yeah, days, I think we've missed that boat. No, no, I think you should ring Michelin. He was working for a chef called John Burton Race at that time, two stars. And um, we knew we had the Michelin in, but we didn't know, you know, after four years, you start sort of losing hope a little bit, thinking, oh, they don't even know we're here. And um, so I, 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 I went back after the phone call to, to, to the stock taker, and, and he said, oh, who's on the phone? I said, oh, that's my mate, Tim. He said, um, 
what do you want? I said, oh, he told me, it's Michelin's out today. He said, uh, you should ring him. I said, nah. And he said, nah, Daniel, go on. It's a two-minute conversation. So I phoned Michelin House, and it was then it was a guy called uh, Derek Bulmer. And uh, can I speak to Derek Bulmer? No, no, he's busy at the moment. Can I ask his phone? And he said, oh, yeah. I said, it's Daniel from Midsummer House. Can we ring you back? I said, yeah, yeah. Bizarre, but yeah. <laughs> so I put the phone down. 30 seconds later, the phone rang again. He said, oh, it's uh, Derek Bulmer from Michelin, guys. I said, oh, hello, how are you? He said, yes, just to tell you, you have got your Michelin star. Absolutely, like legs went. I remember I ran into the kitchen and I slipped and I twisted my ankle. I was so excited. <laughs> and, I, and, and I'll be honest with you, um, you get probably two hours where you feel you're invincible and then the fear starts. And it's the fear... Of losing it. No, the fear of or, are we good enough. Of, of expectation. I'll be honest with you, it was worse with two. Yeah, yeah, I so imagine. So I got, I got the first star in 2003. Yeah. And then we got the second star in 2005. So it was yeah. a two-year gap. And uh, the second phone call, with two stars, they let you know because the press goes a little bit mental. And um, the guide was out on the Friday. I got a phone call on the Tuesday morning. It was about half past ten. Uh, a receptionist came down and said, oh, Chef, there's a Derek Burr, Burr, Burr from a Michelin, she didn't even know, <laughs> she didn't even know, <laughs> this is the woman who's answering your phone, yeah, <laughs> she doesn't even know who's putting you through, and um, I went outside, and um, I had about five or six of us in the kitchen at that point, Mark was the sous chef, Michelle, his partner, was the pastry chef, yeah. and we had, you know, people have gone on and done amazing things since leaving us, yeah. and um, I went outside, and do you know that feeling of, is he ringing me up to tell me that we've lost the star? Oh, right. So you weren't there thinking, oh, I've got no, two. No, it no, was the no, opposite. No, no, and he's giving you a heads up that yeah, you've yeah, yeah, got to go yeah, back into yeah, the kitchen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was sitting there like thinking, asking myself the question of, you know, it was like that. As I walked outside, I slightly went cold because I thought, because I'm not a believer. Mm. I'm more mm. of a, I'm much more, I think the negative so before the positive. I'm, ex I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. I'll always go worst case scenario. Yes, exactly. And if it's better than that, we're good. Yeah. But it's always worst and, case uh, scenario. And uh, <laughs> so I went outside and um, I was on a portable handset. It was the one from the office. And um, I said, oh, Daniel, it's Derek Pullman. I said, oh, hello. How are you? I said, uh, yeah, good. good. And this phone call felt like it was going on, and I was like waiting, I was waiting, waiting for him to give me the bad news. He said, oh, Daniel, we haven't actually met before, have we? I was like, no, no, At we haven't. At you like, I don't... Yeah, 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 come no, on, yeah, yeah. come he on. Said, uh, well, I said, Daniel, normally, you know, we... Um, he said, uh, when restaurants get promoted to two Michelin stars, we normally give people the um, a warning because of the press. And I was like, right. He said, well, just to let you know, You've been promoted to two Michelin stars this year in the, the Michelin Guide. And I actually dropped the phone. <laughs> the, the phone landed on the floor and the batteries pinged out of it. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Had you essentially cut him off? Yeah, cut him off. No, that was it. <laughs> Conversation's over. So then, in a blind panic, putting the batteries back, had to run all the way up to the office, three flights of stairs upstairs. <laughs> Put the batteries back in. Put it back on charge so it recognised where it was. And then I said to my receptionist, can you get the Michelin back on the phone? So I phoned him back up and I said, look, look, I'm really, really, really sorry. I said, but I dropped the phone. I said, could you just repeat what you just said? <laughs> just so I know. He said, Daniel, 
He said, I understand exactly how you're feeling, but yes, you've been promoted to two stars. Ran downstairs. I've never kissed a man before, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like running around the place looking for Mark, yeah? Because yeah. Mark, Mark, um, we were in this together at that point. He was, he's an amazing cook, yeah? I, I mean, I, this, I, I mean I this in the nicest, nicest yeah. possible way. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, I cooked the meat and the fish, and he did the garnish. And I'll be honest with you, we were unstoppable together. And I mean unstoppable. I've never cooked with anybody that would drive me harder. Now, I don't think the combination of both of us in the kitchen was good for everybody else. <laughs> because I think uh, it was two macho men trying to outdo each other. And we never could because we were both real competent cooks. And he, you know, I'd say to him, right, okay. And Mark's different to me. Me, I'm, I, I, I like to know exactly where I am. Mark likes to get through sometimes by the skin of his pants. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And I would push him <laughs> and push him and push him. But he always came up trumps. And I'll be honest with you, we would go through 55 cover services, just me and him. And it would be like, I don't even know how that happened. And we'd both like sit outside at the end of it. And it like, takes an hour to come down before we can like clean. Just like stare at each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he is a phenomenal cook. Mm. And... We, we spent seven and a half years together, yeah. so we knew each other it's inside. A long, that's a long, long time, time to in be this given, environment. Yeah, yeah, in this environment kitchen. every single day. And yeah. I think, you know, Mark, when he left, it was, uh, he was either going to leave or he was never going to leave. Mm. And he went to Alimentum. And um, I took that really badly. Well, he, we spoke to Mark, so I've done a podcast yeah. with Mark. Have you listened to it? No. And he talks about yeah. that. He obviously loves you, like, yeah. you know, so, and he, was, and he was saying, oh, yeah, Daniel, well, me and Daniel spoke about this, and he was saying, and I said to Mark, you know, do you think Daniel was a little bit, like, hurt when you left, you know, because you'd spend oh, that time, and he hurt. was like, yeah, I think we probably both were, you know, but what I thought, what Mark said, which I just thought was, was amazing, was that, like, he said, oh, you know, me and Daniel didn't speak, then he ran me up one day and said, I want you cooking on this charity dinner, yeah. and then that was it, yeah. and I was like, so, you could have, you could have, you know, chucked your toys out the uh, anybody, for 10 years. Anybody knows me knows But that it's I, like settling time and then yeah. it's back. And I was just, do you know what? I it's think great. anybody who knows me knows if I respect you. I need a little bit of time because I am that person. Yeah. And I do take things really, really personally. Yeah. But when I sort of have got over that... I sort of falling back in love with you. Yeah, we're and fine again. Yeah, 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 it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. All, but yeah. is that initial wounding? You, I was massively wounded. He yeah. was, you know, he look. He could have taken over from me here. Yeah, there was mm. no doubt about that. Mm. He, you know, I trusted him. He was the first person I did trust. So for him to go and do something in Cambridge, it's where, close uh, as well, well, very close to home. In my eyes, it was too close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At that point, yeah. it was too close because the other day is it? I knew how hard it was to build this up to this, and then it what? And he was going for job officer, he, the Dorchester and places like that. And I was like, Mark, that's an amazing opportunity. But the Cambridge one sort of was no, hush, yeah, hush. Yeah, yeah. And then, but do you know something? I've watched Mark grow. Then he got I've a watched, star I've himself, watched, didn't he? I've obviously. watched Alan Manson get the star. I've watched him move on. Um, I think Alan Manson was a hard one for him mm. because uh, of reasons that we can't talk about. But I think I've seen him since. I've been to his new place. Mm. I, 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 I watch him very closely because he is, he's a part of me. Yeah. He's a part of this. 
he he's he's ingrained in this. There's pans downstairs that's got dents in because of him. Yeah. And uh, oh, that's so beautiful. I, I, and and oh, what, yeah. what more? Yeah. But do you know something? I, I I see him now, and I think to myself, he's got it righter than anybody. Because I watch him on Instagram with his kids. I watch him open. I watch his food style. I watch. I see how happy he is. And. He's an inspiration to all of us now. I think he, there's one thing, so obviously Leo worked for Mark, that's yep. how see, we know um, Mark, um, and he's always been so supportive of Leo and us and yeah. the business, and like in lockdown, he said, do you want to come and bring your van to my restaurant? Yeah. Car park, I'm not open. And now if we need an extra pitch, like Mark, can we bring, yeah, yeah, we're not open, bring the van. Yeah. You know, he's so generous. I think he's a super generous guy. We I we did some um, charity food parcels last Christmas, and I spoke to him, Mark. Can you do some sides? What do you need? I said, Oh, I need 160 portions of a side. Yeah, fine. No, no worries. Pick them up today. There was no questions. Yeah. He just did it. Yeah, I, I'm, and I, we've eaten two, three times at his restaurant, and just and and I think the food. I'm like, I don't know why, like, you don't, I know it's like hearing about stuff, but like, I think his food's phenomenal. We went for Leo's birthday and Mark cooked for us, so we didn't have a menu, so just cook. And we had about seven or eight courses, and every single thing that was coming out was incredible. <coughs> and then Leo said to Bradley, the front of house, like, what's next? He said, oh, it's pudding. And he said, can we have another, say, another, like, I don't yeah. want to go to sweet yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark brings out this beef dish. Which was phenomenal, and it's just. And it, but he was just doing it. You but that's know, when he's at his best. Yeah, he was just cooking for. And then, if you, if you and ask, then he's like, I've got to go. I've got to go and pick the kids up. And yeah. then off he went. Yeah, I, yeah, I think. I'll be honest with you. He, I've seen him do things. Yeah, well, there's a very special night where uh, I caught him. Uh, he'd been out in the piss the night before. It was a Tuesday night. So he'd been out in the piss on Monday. He knew. Uh, he knew. Uh, I knew that he'd been drinking, and we sort of like. They've been quiet with each other all day. Like hard Tuesdays used to be hard. Yeah, you'd come in, prep all day, busy night. And I knew he'd forgotten to make the knocky for the beef. So I went out to the restaurant and I said to the manager, I want to sell beef tonight. Yeah, that's all I want to sell. Just beef. Don't want to sell anything else. I said, if you sell 35 out of 40 people, I'm going to be a really happy man. Mark had to make knocky three times in the service that night. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'll, I'll and he was like looking at the checks and they were coming on it's like check on two beef check on four beef <laughs> check on six beef <laughs> and I'm sort of like grinning to myself going yeah you fucker <laughs> I'll, I'll, right teach, I'll teach you yeah Yeah. but you can't teach him because he gets it done yeah he's somebody that could cook out of an empty fridge yeah and it's frustrating because I don't see no I don't know many people that can do that that's yeah. a talent that can only be learned when you're in the shit yeah. Mark is doing the best thing in the world because he's relying on his own talent mm. and what he's doing there it's small it's intimate it's very um, it's very cozy mm. and you get Mark you mm. don't get anybody else. You don't get a commie chef. You don't get a chef to party. You get Mark's food. And do you know what? Fair play to him. And you get his tunes. Yeah. Which I really like. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you've got, it's him. You can yeah. hear him because he's got those, he's got his music on in the kitchen. Well, it's, he's it's, he, he's, he feels comfortable. When someone's comfortable, they cook the best. Of course they are. They're the best. That's, that's, you know, he... He's someone who's going to be on the doorstep in Cambridge for the rest of his life. So, mm. you know, it's good we're friends now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, we kind of touched on this, but getting your stars, what it meant to you then and what they mean to you now. And obviously, you get your star every year. Yeah. So you still have, you have to be oh, you're on still, yeah, you're your still game. Nervous. Yeah, you're still every nervous year every comes year. round. Well, the second one, two stars from one star, as I said, the first one, it was brilliant. Uh, never thought we'd achieve it. Didn't quite understand why we got it because uh, I know I'd pushed the food really hard and I'd pushed everything really hard. But about a week after getting two stars, it sort of hit me quite hard and it sort of, uh, it made me really nervous mm. and it made me slightly psychotic. Mm. And I think for about five years after that, um, and that was just the pressure. Uh, the, the pressure, but also the pressure I put on myself. Yeah. And um, I think what you don't believe you're at that level. You go to eat at two-star restaurants and you're like, wow, this is amazing, this is amazing. But you never eat in your own restaurant and you never see what other mm, people see. That's true. So you sort of sit back and you never think you're at that level. And you're like, mm, this, is, this is interesting, this is interesting. And yeah, it took me about five years to feel comfortable with it. 10 years to feel like I deserved it. Now I'm comfortable and I feel like we are as good as we should be. Yeah. What does it mean to me? It means the world. Of course, two Michelin stars, isn't it? How proud am I? I work up every morning a two-star chef. Do I want to lose it? Not a chance. Mm -hmm. Am I here every day? Yes. Mm. I'm here every day not for that reason. I'm here every day for my customers. I'm here every day for my staff. I'm here every day because what else would I do? Mm. But I'd be devastated if we lost it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a two-star chef. I want to be a three-star chef. I was just, I was just and, about to And say. I think... Um, I will push every day, every single day that I have left on this planet to get Midsummer House to three Michelin stars mm. because I believe that we deserve it. I believe that we can achieve it. I believe that... Um, I've been told by Michelin that we've got a three-star property. What that means, uh, I really don't know because what is a three-star property? I think if you want the truth, I think lockdown was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I've never been stopped before. Yeah. And mm. I've never had time to yeah. reflect. I've never had time to spend with my staff personally. I've never sat in a room with my head chef. I've never crossed my arms and actually listened to people. I think stopping me for near enough a year, giving me a time to reflect on what's important to me, what's important for my staff, what's important for... Uh, people that to keep them here to keep them motivated and when we reopened it's funny people will never understand this that there's been certain years in the 20 year history of having a michelin star there's been certain years where i felt we're at this level and it's a feeling you can't you can't you can't talk about it but it's a feeling that you get and it's a, like a twinkle that you'll look at mark and and you'll go, what do you think, Mark? Mm, I think we're close, Chef. Yeah, yeah, we're there. Like, Nicole, what do you think? Yeah, I think, Chef, it's strange, Chef. I got a bit of shivery. Mm -hmm. And it's, your staff feel it, but you sort of wait for the guide to come out. You wait for the guide to come out. Some years you think, oh, no, okay, we're going to stay at two stars. Mm -hmm. But is two stars bad? No, we've won two stars. It's amazing. But do I feel we're... 
I feel we're closer because I've had time to reflect. I've had time to think. I've had time to cut a lot of things out that uh, you know, we don't do aperitifs anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, when you've got four months of lockdown, and you know, it's, I spent seven weeks stripping the staircase here. I, and I remember it very clearly. Mark, who now is my, Mark Abbott, who is now my business partner, and Nicole, who is my, she was my restaurant manager, but she's got children and she's, uh, uh, she's put her children first, which I think is really important. She's now like my PA stroke business manager. And we were walking around the place doing a, a, a tick list of what we wanted to achieve because what do you do with four months off? Uh, you know, especially when you get up every morning at half six and you come to work and you don't go home till one, you've got, you've got to fill your time. Yeah, it's otherwise, a lot, it's, it's a lot of time. It's a fill. lot of time. Yeah. And um, what do you do? So we decided that we were going to do some maintenance to midsummer. Yeah. So walking around the place, and you know, it's it's a, it's a nice building, and to everyone's eye, it's really nice. But to me, there's certain things like what people don't realise. You've got a painted staircase. Yeah? after two weeks of that being painted for two and a half, three grand by the painter, that so many people, the traffic up and down the stairs going to the toilets, people's hands are dirty, yeah, yeah. their hands go down, and it it becomes black within like two weeks, and then there's me on the restaurant staff, clean the, clean it, clean, yeah, but chef, you can't clean, it's ingrained. So I took the blowtorch from the kitchen and just gave it a quick lick over the thing, yeah, I said, oh, let's have a butcher's, yeah, but like 20 layers of paint. I thought, oh, this would be easy, yeah. Seven weeks, seven weeks, five, five of us stripping, 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 stripping. We burnt out two uh, of those paint, paint stripper guns. But do you know something? It gave us some time. We, obviously, we were all separate from each other, but we were talking, music on. And it was the first time I learned of people's personalities. Yeah. I saw a side of them that they weren't like shitting dogs in the restaurant waiting for service to happen. They were my friends and we were having a laugh. And I saw this. So when we sat down as a team, after that experience, we sat down as a team and we said to ourselves, okay, where are the problems? Why do the staff work so many hours? Why do we come in at silly o'clock in the morning and finish? Because what people don't realize about Michelin starred restaurants or any business in a lot of ways, what the customer sees is a third of what happens. Yeah, I mean, 100%. They don't see the prep. They don't see the stress of getting deliveries. They don't see what goes into making that product that product. And so we sat down and we had a long conversation. I remember it very clearly. We sat in, it was a really nice hot day, and we'd sat in the conservatory. It was like a Friday, and we were talking about the change of Midsummer House. And we said to ourselves, okay, what's the problem then? The problem is, Chef, is people come in, their reservation is at half past 12, table of six, they sit down, the waitress goes over and says, okay, what would you, can I take your drinks? This person has a gin. Okay, we have 12 different gins, eight different tonics. We go through it. So the time you've explained it to the one individual at the table, the rest of them are all talking to themselves, yeah? Then you get to number two, then you get to number three. Number three wants to hear all the gins again. He wants to hear all the tonics again. And by the time you get to number six, he wants to hear all of the whole lot again. So it's a 15-minute process to take a drinks order. Then it's another 15 minutes process for a customer to receive the drinks because we don't just whack them in a glass. We do everything we can to make it the best it can be. But 
you've got someone sitting at a table for a good 25 minutes waiting for a drink. Yeah? Mm. Is that hospitality? So what I, what I said to myself is, Daniel, it's time to be proud. If you were coming to my house, no, wait, I don't even have gin at my house. You'd get offered what I'm going to serve you, and it would be my choice on the day, and I'm going to give you a great experience. Yeah? So we cut it all out, and I'll be honest with you, it feels the experience starts. You sit down, you get a really nice glass of Krug, 90% of people that come here, and this is the funny thing about Midsummer House, you know, is, is everyone thinks, oh, yeah, it's that posh restaurant over the common. You hear the taxi drivers here, you know, it's funny, you hear people talking about it. You, you, know, you stand in the garden, people walk over, it, yeah. you can, people walk in over, oh, there's that posh restaurant. It's really expensive. Well, yes, I agree with you, 100% it's expensive, but when you sit down and you have a glass of Krug for the first time in your life, and it's served at the right temperature, in the right glass, in the right environment. It's special. It's... I was going to touch... Takes, takes, it takes... Yeah, but I mean, I was going to touch on this just because I was talking to friends of mine who said I was going to come to talk yeah. to you. And a good friend of mine called Alex, um, she's got a big birthday coming up in a couple of years. And she said to us eight years ago, for my 40th, we're going to miss my house. I'm telling you now, so you all know, that's what we're doing for my football. She's like 38, yeah. it's two years away. I said, oh, I'm sorry, why miss her? She said, um, my mum went there for her 40th. Her mum died of cancer when she was like 22. And Alex didn't go with her mum to Midsummer House, but she remembers, and her mum lived in a village out South Cams. People from the village coming to their house, they got a minibus in here. They came and her mum had her 40th here. And she remembers that. And she's going to come here. Oh, what amazing! And have her fortieth because she has that memory of her mum doing it, and mum's no longer here. Well, that sort of sends shivers down my it spine. It does. It makes me emotional. Yeah. Because it's it's not just the food. You come like you said. Oh yeah, it's expensive. It's everything it's that's a night involved out. in it. It's the memory. It's the memories that you have. It's 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 the food, but it's so much more than the food as well. And you know, and but I think this important. this this reflects on. Cambridge is a very, very Pacific place. When we talk about culinary experience in Cambridge, you're not cheap. Steak and Honor's not cheap. No. But it is the best. If you want a burger in Cambridge, as I said to you, you need to sort out your fucking opening hours <laughs> because <laughs> I can't come. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, you're missing a trick. Five kids, me, my missus, you know, it's proper money, that. Yeah. yeah it's not a... But what I'm trying to say to you is... People are prepared to pay yeah. for when it's right. Mm. And the other day, I'm not moaning because you deserve a life just as much as me. Mm. The situation is, this is a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah. I had a customer come to me probably three weeks ago and uh, they loved it. They came for their wedding anniversary, they loved it, sending me private messages on Instagram. Oh, Daniel, this is the quail dish, we loved it. This is that, we loved it. And they said, we're saving up to come back. Mm. And I read it and I thought to myself, that's lovely. And I, and I was very honest with them. I said, I said, look, do me a favor, go to a couple of other two stars and then come back. I said, for the simple reason is, go and see what everyone else has got to offer. Because mm. I'm not a greedy person. I don't want to just take all like, everyone's mm. business. I want people to have an amazing experience, have something to compare it against. Mm. But also, this is, it's, it's lovely that I've created something that's got 
it's got lifetime memories for people. People get engaged here. People come for christenings. People come for weddings. People come for sad occasions. Yeah. When, you know, we've had quite a few people come recently. Oh, you know, uh, my mum always wanted to come, but she died of COVID, so we're coming to celebrate my mum. And it's what, what a lovely... It's a privilege. It's, yes. It is, that, and everyone needs to understand is it's a privilege for us as that's, well. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's a privilege for you guys to it's, host these it's, people. It's an amazing experience yeah. to see people sitting in a restaurant, having an amazing time, giving them experiences they've never had, getting them to taste things they've never had. Like, we have got the best wine waiter, sommelier now, that I've ever had here. He's unique. He's, 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 he's difficult to manage. I even struggle managing him occasionally, but I'll be honest with you, the wine pairings bring tears to my eyes. Mm. And I remember the first time I, I gave him a dish and he said, Jeff, Jeff, I think I might have fun. And he went away and he bought this wine pairing and he said to me, taste that, close your eyes. And, I, and, it, and it took me back to an experience that I had in a restaurant probably about four years ago where I felt like I had my pants pulled down. I felt like uh, it was like a lesson in cooking. I sat there in this restaurant, and there's not many that do it, but I sat in a restaurant, it was in, it was in Sweden, and I sat back and it was like, if I could stop cooking and go and work for this guy, I would, because there's something about this mm. happening that I don't know what's happening, mm. and I need to know, and that's when that's the addiction yeah. for me. Yeah, that yeah. is understanding what is happening. It's a bit like your macaroni cheese. Mm. Your macaroni cheese is a meal on its own. Yeah, my kids will go to they will order that on its own. Yeah, mm. they, they will go to Steak and Honor just to have that yeah. because it is delicious. Mm. And one of those things that I think food does that to you. There's certain places that make you stand back. I went to the Spoken Goat two weeks ago. Yeah, mm. and I'll be honest with you. Um, it's food that I don't understand. Chili is something that I've always stayed away from because it's not what French cooking is about. But I had a cocktail there. It was um, it was rum, uh, coconut, lime, and green chili. And uh, I haven't told any of the chefs in the kitchen yet. But when they hear this, they will they'll understand it. I created a dish out of that when I came back. Nice. Because the inspiration yeah. was there. Yeah, yeah. it's like. So this is still. You're yeah, still. This is in, this is in a, a restaurant in Shoreditch. It's got no Michelin stars. The food was amazing, but the cocktail, just that sip, like fucking hell, that's addictive. Fires it. Just like something triggering going on. it. Yeah. Something, something happens. Things happen in my head that, you know. As I said to you, it's taken a long time. Midsummer's been open for twenty-three years now. I've been cooking for, oh. 20, no, 33 years, and it's one little dish, like a one cocktail can trigger something in my mm. head, and I know how I want the dish to try and, mm. and how to taste, and it's, it's the never giving up, because I'll say to the chefs, like, make me a lime sorbet, okay, right, put more zest in it, okay, put less zest in it, okay, uh, put some uh, lemon juice plus the lime juice, right, don't squeeze the whiteness of the lime because the whiteness of the lime is giving you the bitterness. Okay, right, now I don't want you to, I want you to segment the limes, get rid of all the whites, blend that so we don't have the whiteness because the whiteness has given us mm. the bitterness. And they look at me like I've got two heads. Yeah, like, it's so, it's scientific. It's like every element is thought about 
and it's there's it, there's a purpose for it being there. There's nothing that to not to chance is the wrong phrase maybe, but yeah, it, it's specific. It's I know that that's going to do that and that's going to do that, and you just work it out till you get it back. Yeah, on. yeah, until till, till it till it's right. Yeah, and then and then you've got to keep on top of them to make sure they're doing it stays that. The same. Yeah, 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 because that's where the consistency yeah. is. That's the stress level. Mm. Creating the dish is the easy bit. Making sure you can hand your baby to someone else yeah. and then look after it. That's a difficult one, that, isn't it? Yeah, I'll be definitely. honest, you don't want anyone else being the father to your kids. So, no. yeah, that is. Why would you want that with your dishes? Yeah. But, you know, over time, I'm learning. I'm learning, like, okay, you know, Daniel, you know, we still make egg sandwiches like my mum made when I was a kid. This is the funny thing. We talk about, we talk about memories. Mm -hmm. My mum doesn't really, really come into any food memories or yeah. any of my past or any of the growing up because I didn't grow up with her. But every Friday we have my mum's egg sandwiches. Okay. How does that happen? Yeah. Because it's a memory it of the one it. thing that she made mm. that made me happy. Yeah. Now all the staff hate it. The French staff absolutely detest it. Like egg sandwiches, because we don't do it with mayonnaise, we do it with salad cream. Oh, we're yeah. We're English. I'm yeah? a salad cream <laughs> fan. I'm a salad cream <laughs> fan. Me too. But the thing is, the rest of the staff are like, salad cream? This guy's <laughs> off his head. Yeah? But the thing is, Every Friday, it takes me to that happy place. Yeah. And that's what food does. It, yeah, it really does. And I think, yeah, it's like a Sunday roast, yeah? I don't care what anyone says, a Sunday roast is the best meal of the week for the simple reason is, it is the time you spend with the people you love the most. Mm. And that's why I don't open on Sundays, because my kids come first. Yeah, I love that. Well, we're gonna wrap things up now, Dan. I could literally sit yeah. here all day <laughs> and chat to you. It's been um, good. So interesting. But I'm gonna bring it back to burgers. Yeah. So, firstly, do you like burgers? I love a burger, yeah. Um, and secondly, you'd be surprised, had someone on and they were like, I'm not really a fan of burgers. And I was really? like, oh, okay, well, anyway, let's crack on. Well, the um, thing is, I, the f burgers, where do we start? You know, I think the first... Because everyone's got, you know, you, I feel like a burger memory, again, is, people are quite young. It's usually your McDonald's. My first, my first serious one was Wimpy. I was just about to say Wimpy. Yeah, I remember Wim Wimpy's. Wimpy was... Uh, it was like a real treat. My grandmother used to take me to Wimpy. It was a bit, bit posher than McDonald's, yes, wasn't yeah, it? Because was you sit, it yeah, was like yeah, a yeah, proper yeah. sit. It, was, it felt like a classy joint. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest with you. And then I sort of think they burgers took a massive downturn for about 25 years. It was like McDonald's or you know Burger King. It's funny, a couple of weeks ago, Burger King offered me 25 grand to do a to do uh, to do uh, a collaboration with them, yeah, and um, whoa, and I was really, really close, yeah. Well, but I hate Burger King, mm. and I'll be totally honest. I absolutely mm. hate it. And I, look, I'll be honest with you. If it was Burger King or McDonald's, McDonald's would win. Mm. Do I like McDonald's? Not really. It's uh, it's consistent. There's no doubt, but it's not consistently good. It's it's um, it's one bite, and then the rest just tastes the same. Yeah, I think with fast food places like McDonald's and Burger King, I think there's a place for them. Like we often have like- but Three o'clock in the morning coming out of yeah, the nightclub. Yeah, it's amazing. A, with the kids, like if we're going on holiday, like, and we get up at like 5 a.m., you know, to go to Cornwall, we'll have, we'll have, we'll have a McDonald's breakfast. I love a McDonald's time. breakfast. Hash browns, don't Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah no, um, I like that. But it's, I feel like it kind of, it has its place. And, and also, I think that 
we all we had one. My, my kids wanted one for their birthday, so we got a McDonald's, and we were in the drive-through, and I if saw. Anyone could see your facial expression. Then it was like it was like you'd let the it's whole world. It's embarrassing. I know. <laughs> so we get in the drive-through, and I see an advert for a big tasty. Oh, that looks yeah, that yeah, looks the well nice. Great, didn't it? Leo said, well, "I'm having a big tasty," and he's like, "Are you sure?" I said, "Yeah, it looks great." Are you positive? Yeah. Okay. Right. So we get it. It was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting. It disintegrated. It was awful, awful. And Leo just shook his head. He said, I don't know why you deviated. Like, <laughs> Big Mac, fine, McChicken. There's certain things that you just yeah. stick with. Yeah, you he said, I was don't shocked. Don't go off piece, no. He said, I can't. He said, That's, you've only got yourself to blame. Yeah. Because you shouldn't have done it. And I was like, you're completely right. Yeah. And I'll never, <laughs> I'll never do it's that It's like again. their donuts. Their donuts look all right. But they look all right. Yeah. They don't taste all right, but they, always, they they sort of tempt you in, like, mm, yeah, go on then. And, yeah, no. regret that. Yeah. <laughs> so when the burger thing came on, back onto the market, there was a place in London, and it, it's funny because a lot of things fall into place because when, when I did well on the Great British Menu, it was the same time. So this was 2011, 2012. I've got real close mates that were in this industry, Sat Baines, Tom Kerridge, Simon Rogan, uh, Claude Bozzi, we were all really good mates and we used to meet up quite a lot. And we were all big drinkers back then, you know, like we were, I think we were probably 38, 39, had a couple of kids, we were like, yeah, a bit of a release, let's meet up in town. And we would end up in a place called Meat Liquor. And I know Scott, the owner, really, really well, and uh, he had a product, it was very dark. Quite a uh, graffiti. The yeah, 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 yeah. The first one. Yeah. Graffiti all over the road. Great milkshakes. Great cocktails. The chicken wings were like really spicy. The burgers. The dead hippie burger was was uh, a thing of beauty. And I hadn't seen anything. I'm not saying this because you're sitting in front of me. I'm going to be really honest now. I do think yours is the best burger I've ever had. Oh my no, no, God! No, no, no! I honestly do, and I—I'll I, I, tell you why. Wow! I'll tell you why. I was really pleasantly surprised when I came to the shop. I remember coming. I bought my two eldest daughters, and we came in. You weren't expecting me. I remember Leo's face. Mm. Yeah, he's like, "Fuck me!" <laughs> <laughs> Daniel's in, yeah. Don't yeah, and act I, cool. No, Just no, no, act no. cool. But I ordered mm. a vegetarian burger. Yeah. Because I'm not very good at reading, yeah? So mm. I looked out there and I was like, I had all the accompaniments mm. in. And I'm like, oh, I'll have that one, yeah? Mm. My second oldest daughter didn't say anything, didn't mm. say anything. So I sat down upstairs and I, I tucked in. I had the macaroni and cheese. I remember it really clearly. I had some chips. And um, halfway through the burger, I was like, this is really, it's good, this, yeah? It's like good fucking meat in it, yeah? And my daughter was like chuckling to herself. But the next time, was in Saffron Walden. I, I oh, yeah. went to, um, they had like a Christmas market there, yeah? And you were, you guys were there, and, and there was four or five other food stalls, and I was with the kids again, I had the two, I had my dogs with me, my two bulldogs, and they were, uh, anyone who owns a bulldog knows that a bulldog will do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. You try and have two male bulldogs, that I should never have done, but I did do. First of all, uh, they, trying to get them both to go in the same direction was impossible, but, so I said to the girls, right, you hold the dogs and I'll queue up, yeah? And I queued up and the vans are even better for the simple reason that the choice is not so big. No, yeah. So 
you have a choice. And I remember saying to the girls, well, I'm going to choose. Yeah? So we all had burgers. And we sat there and watched everyone else. And the thing is, your queue had 25 people deep. Mm. You can go to some Thai thing over here that was one person queuing up. And if that doesn't tell you, mm. people know. There's, there's this, this, this feeling. Mm. Now, this is down to the quality of the ingredients that go into it. The bun, the beef, you can taste it in the burger. Yeah. This is the thing that people don't understand. And what we talked about earlier is what I respect about your brand is that you don't waver. You don't change your ingredients. You use the same butcher, the same... Everything we, cha we changed the bun only once, and that was because the old baker folded. So we had to get a new well, bun. The, the, so that was yeah, that. Yeah, but, but the thing is... But everything actual, else is the same. But the beef... It's the same. But it, but it tastes of beef. Yeah, yeah. But it tastes of beef that is expensive beef. You know that taste. Mm. It's like the beef we use here, yeah? It's, look, I'll be totally honest. I was having a conversation with one of my old sous chefs, and I hope this doesn't go worldwide, but um, let's take a risk on it anyway. And we, he's, he's left me and he's gone somewhere else and he's gone to another two-star restaurant and they had the Michelin Guide in about four weeks ago and he was telling me about the experience. And he said to me that the uh, head chef there for that day had ordered eight different types of beef and he'd cooked eight different types of beef. Mm. And they decided they were going to use this beef for the Michelin inspectors that evening. And I'm sitting there, and this kid's young, yeah, he's 25, 26, and he, he, he done, did five years with me, so I know him really, really well. And he's sitting there telling me, saying, you know, chef, uh, what do you think about that? I said, well, I think that's absolute bollocks. I said, because every customer that walks through the door the beef should have been checked months ago. You should have the supplier sorted. You should have a relationship with the mm -hmm. supplier. And that supplier should be encouraging you to be better because it starts the supply chain. I'm a good chef, but I'm only as good as the ingredients I'm cooking. I'm only as good as the chef to parties that I'm training. That's cooked in butter, so it's only as good as the butter. And it's only as good as the waiters that are delivering it. So it's a, it is a chain of process. But what I don't understand is if you're trying to bullshit someone, people will see through it. Mm. Yeah, they, you, you, consistency is key. Mm. It's the same in my business. It's the same yeah. as yours. And yeah, they, if burgers have become, uh, they went for a real high fashion, really fashionable, go out, you know, oh, this, 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 and this. But only the strong ones have survived because there was ones in London. I remember going to a couple in London. And they, you know, oh, the big deal, this is a new burger joint. But yeah, they is. They're not consistent. Yeah. And I think the other day is, is it a burger? Mm. I don't know if it's a burger or not. I don't really know. Because is McDonald's a burger? I, I think McDonald's is more like a warm sandwich because it's, it's, it's not... A, it's, <laughs> it, like that piece of beef looks like it's been run over, doesn't it? If you, yeah. If you, yeah, take, yeah, yeah. A, if you yeah. take a patty out of McDonald's, yeah, it's it, like, is, it is great. You can wave it around. Yeah, Yours yeah. comes out and you know it's a piece of beef. Yeah. yeah. You know it's that pinkness in the middle. Yeah. And the most upsetting thing is, is if I took my younger children to yours, mm. because they're my kids, they probably wouldn't be scared. But if mm. I took some of their mates, they'd look at that pinkness and say, mm. oh, it's not cooked, yeah? Mm. But at the end of the day, is that's down to education from the parents to understand that actually that's perfect. Mm. And I think there's more than a place for, for a burger. It's interesting because we, you mentioned um, meat liquor because, so I worked in London 
<clears throat> prior to, so Leo's work at Midsummer House, <laughs> giving you a life story now. Leo's work at Midsummer House, we met in London. I was still working in London in the city prior to me getting pregnant with my first child. So I was still working in London when I was pregnant. Leo was, but we lived back here. I was commuting. And we went to Welbeck Street Meat Liquor. We'd heard about this place. Yeah. And I will always remember it. It was a huge, huge inspiration for us. We went there. We had to queue up for 45, yeah. 45 minutes to an hour, right? And I'm standing there. Well, you know exactly where it is. It's not there anymore. Yeah, no, They've no. it down, haven't they? But there was, and we were there with a couple of mates. Big queue. Bounce from the door. <clears throat> we could hear this music inside. Blacked out windows. I was like, what's going on? Yeah. It was like the... The anticipation, we were getting hungrier. Leo had a couple of beers. There was a big, you could, people were drinking beers in the queue and then they had a big um, bin. Just chuck the beers in the bin before yeah. you went in. So we get to the front, go in. The doors opened. Bam. Music, the dark, atmosphere. the red, the atmosphere, Feels everything. Filthy. We were like, <laughs> whoa, we sat down. I don't even know what I ate but I know it was one of the best things I've ever eaten. Mm. And it was the entire experience of the anticipation, the environment, the staff was super friendly. I remember the, the staff being just so great as well. It was fucking cool. It was the but, coolest place. But the biggest question to you is, can that be replicated? I don't know, because I've only been, that's the only place. Because I went to the Brighton, my daughter started. Not the, and it wasn't the same? No. no. I know Scott really well. I've not been to any more. And I've been to Meet Mission. Have you? Yeah. yeah. That experience for me, and I think at that point we'd bought the van, we had bought the van, and we decided we were going to do do burgers, um, and that was huge. It was a, it was a, a point where we were like, this this is it. This it's is life changing. This, this is amazing. Like, but this, this is, is what I think experiences are about. Yeah. As I said to you, that first glass of Krug. Yeah. Mm. I'll be honest with you. Once you've had a glass of Krug, it's difficult to go back to a. 17 pound bottle from Tesco's because mm -hmm. it's never going to taste the same. But the end of the day is, is that special treat, it's worth it. Mm. Why steak and honour? Where did the name come from? Well, that's interesting because Leo worked at Alimentum for a while and then he left. We just bought the van off eBay and he left Alimentum. We got married and then he did a bit of temping, like some of the university kitchens, and it wasn't for him. Um, and then um, I read an article in, again, because I was commuting on the train about Fitzbillies and that it had been taken over by Tim Hayward and his wife. So I said, oh, we should go there for dinner. It's when it opened for dinner. So we should go for dinner. Went for dinner. Tim Hayward was there. Leo didn't have a job, really, at this point. So I said, need any chefs in the kitchen at all? Because um, he's basically, he hasn't got a job. So, and I'm, I'm expecting. So if you could, um, that would be great. Uh, we had a bit of a laugh about it. But anyway, he, he started working there. He started working under Rosie Sykes. And, and he did a bit, Leo did a bit of work with Tim on his first book, actually. Um, he did a bit of like food, um, what do they call it? Garnishing. Yeah, and um, plating. plating, stuff like that. Anyway, Tim's got a tattoo on his forearm that says Beef and Liberty, and it's like a stamp with it written. And I said, oh, and it's in his book. It's in the first book, there's a picture of it, but his, his daughter's called Liberty. Yeah. Um, and I remember asking, what was that for? And it's, I I'm sure this is right, that it was a, 70, there was a 17th century men's club, meat club, that used to meet in London and eat beef. And this was their like, motto, beef and liberty. And, he, and, it was, and he'd found it and had it stamps on him. And so we thought, that's, 
cool. It's beef and liberty, but we obviously you can't rip it straight no. off. So we were like, mm, steak, beef, honour, liberty. So it became steak wow. and honour. So that's, yeah, that's how. It's interesting when you have a new business and you start thinking, what are we going to make? We had the van, we didn't have the product. We've got this van, what are we going to cook? Are all the vans identical? Uh, yeah. We've got two H vans, red and yellow, um, and they look exactly the same, just different colours. One's longer, so one's, sh- one's shorter and one's longer. Obviously, the longer wheelbase is easier to cook with. Yeah, it's just difficult to drive. Yeah. Nightmare, nightmare. Luckily, I've never driven it. But when we got off, uh, the very first van was 1,100 quid off eBay, and it was a mess, and we shouldn't have even really bought it. I mean, it was over where it should have been. And we, it had chickens living in it. And we sent it down to Sutton in Surrey and got it redone. Of course, it took longer than we thought. All of this stuff, you know what it's like. Yeah, when you yeah. start anything, it takes longer. It's more expensive. I bought a pub. I thought I was going to spend 200000 on it. I spent $1.8 There you go. And I mean, on a very small scale to yeah. that, it's the same. So did it all. We were both still working, you know, and all of that. So we were able to manage it. Um, we had it fitted up by a mate who was a carpenter. We got Fitzbilly's tabletops like on the top and all of this. I mean, it, it was it was a piece of shit basically, but it was but enough. You wouldn't be here today without. No, of course not. And it was enough to do what we needed to do. When I took this over, I had a char grill that I got my dad to put a solid piece of uh, cast iron on top. I used to light the char grill underneath, and that was my uh, solid top. And I used to stand there, and I'll be honest with you, when that went. It was like someone taking one of my arms away. <laughs> I actually got quite... The worst bit, this is the worst bit that people don't understand about me, is I'm a bit of a hoarder. I don't like letting things go. If you, if, you, if you go to like... We have a staff house where the staff live, but in the back of the staff house, we have a, I've built a massive, like very uh, secure area to keep all my plates in. And every single plate, even back to 1998, wow. when I, when so I started, kept, like, I've kept everything. Amazing. And I'm, I'm, I like, no, got that 2005 when we got two stars. No, got that when 2003 when we got. And I'm so um, nostalgic. Yes, for because it, yeah. everything has meant something to me. Yeah. And 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 uh, when things, I've got better, but them. Them original days are the days when you always, you're carefree, aren't you? Yeah, you are, but we always, like, so we, I had my first son and then on the, in the October and we traded for the very first time in the December. So it's, so we're about as old as our, my Kids, son. yeah. So, and, um, and like I said, it was very much part-time. Um, I was on maternity leave at the time, but Leo was still working. So it, we, it wasn't like we went all in. We couldn't afford to at the time. We had a young kid, you know, you, you know what it's like. So it, you know, it was kind of softly, softly to begin with until we got to the point where it was like, we need to make a go, we're going to do this or not. Do you think the brand will leave Cambridge and go carry on somewhere else? I don't think so. I think at one point there was potentially, but I don't think that's really something, because like you, you know, the product is Leo's product. There's no mistaking what, what the customers get. It wasn't like, oh, just chuck that in, chuck that in. Like, he made his own tomato ketchup because he thought, oh, realised, you know what, Heinz is, is better. Yeah. He made onion marmalade up in yeah. case, you know what. So all of the, although it might seem like it's this really simple, easy thing, every element was at, it's actually been thought out. And I think as, you a, can't replicate as a chef, though, he, being, and I think all chefs are a little bit on that control freak kind of uh, Slightly, spectrum. Yeah. Um, 
I think he would, Leo would struggle if, oh yeah, it's open somewhere in York. If he wasn't, you know, if it wasn't touchable, that he was able, I yeah. think it, we just wouldn't work. It's diluting the product. Yeah, and I think what these, I've done it a couple of times. Yeah. I've opened two other businesses, realised after I've done all the development, after all the fit out and everything, realised very quickly that um, I'm not really a businessman. I'm more of a... Chef, a cook. Yeah, I like to be in my kitchen. I yeah. like to be in my restaurant. I don't, I don't like to have... I don't like to have. I don't like to wake up in the morning, look at my phone, and think, right, okay, well, I've got to go down there because this has just happened. Then I've got to go over there. It becomes uh, a completely different animal. You're oh, not doing what you no. want to do and what you love doing. I started this because I love cooking, and why I didn't start this to open a chain of restaurants. Exactly, and it's the same. You know, Leo has cooked his first burger in December 2012, and he's still cooking burgers four days four days a week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now. Um, and he's still doing it. Does he still love it? And he still he still eats the burgers. Yeah. He still's like, and we've just started up like a little side, not a side thing, another company called Dots Hot Chicken, like Nashville Fried Chicken. Yeah. And and that's really cool, really cool trailer, and that's something you know, it's a little. It'd be more that's something different to the burgers, not the burgers, but kind of you know sits nicely with it. Um, and you know he's very much on that as well. He wants that to be right. That's got to be you know he'll be on it all the time, and he's. Making sure it's yeah up up to a level. It's good quality chicken. It's all of it needs to be at a good level where he's got control over what's being cooked. He's also happy with out. it because because he, yeah. because of his training. He hasn't he, he, he hasn't worked in a couple of dodgy kebab shops and then none. He's worked in proper restaurants. Yeah, so he he's been through the grind. Yeah, so he did a graphic design degree when I met him. He was just finishing it and was like, I don't want to do graphic design. I just don't want to do it. And he, when you were talking earlier, it's similar. So he was living in Kent, North Kent, London, but it was like, it wasn't London, yep. it, was, it was Kent. Um, and he basically said, I don't want to do graphic design. Um, he thought about being a butcher. Um, in fact, his last graphic design kind of final piece was about food. It was a seasonal food thing, it was, which is bizarre in a way, but you kind of see where it was yeah. going. Um, and he sent a letter out to the top 50 restaurants in London asking for a job and he was a lot of them were like we've got a degree he's like I don't want to do that I want a job but this is what I'm saying to you if that's spotted it's, earlier at yeah, school so he went and did a degree but I mean yes he's had dealings with you know it made it easier with regards to the early days with branding and stuff yeah but you know he went straight out of uni and he went to work he went to the Belvedere for two weeks in was it oh, not Notting Hill wherever it was it you know he went there for two weeks but then got offered a job at um, Brown's Hotel in Mayfair. Yeah, yeah. So that's where we went. And he'd gone from being a student. We lived in Bethnal Green at the time. Yeah. And um, he used to get the night bus in because he used to start so early that he'd be getting the night bus in with all the piss heads coming yeah, yeah, home yeah. to start at like 5.36 in the morning to get in. And he did that for about, it was there 18 months. And first thing he did was... Um, afternoon tea he made sandwiches and sandwiches and sandwiches and sandwiches all day that was like the thing and he'd and he then he kind of moved up a little bit but and then we moved he's from around here i'm not um but we moved back for more space and all of that and then that's when he went kind of came it back is a into, lovely it's a lovely place to live into Cambridge. alimentum but he'd gone from yeah kind of where you know yeah, and when we lived just off um, quite close to Alimentum at the time as well, and then he kind of went and went into there, and uh, Mark, Mark gave him a job there. Um, and I think he does enjoy, he enjoyed it. 
he enjoyed the atmosphere. He didn't find it um, particularly intimidating, um, I don't think. Um, we'd get his head down, just come in, you know, right, let's go. Head yeah. would be down, make five Well, look what you've achieved. Yeah, but it's, but it's yeah. And, um, but I think he, again, like similarly, knew that he didn't always want to work for someone else. I think that was really clear for him that he, he wanted to be his own boss um, at some point, and it was just working out how to do it, afford, you know, like you starting this place... On a shoestring. On a shoestring, you know, I think it's... For the thing is, is what, for me, it's the best way to do it. But the thing is, is the, what people don't understand is, is, is we're still, we still give it everything. Yeah. The business comes first. Financially, the business comes first. Yeah. It will always be that way because the end of the day is, the business is a reflection of us, and it yeah. is our facade in a way of I like, I like being me because I get to hide in my kitchen and impress people from the back. People, people say to me, oh, you chef, why don't you go out into the restaurant? No, I saw, I saw this, that you put something on your Instagram about someone had complained. Yeah, like, yeah. Why didn't I see? And I thought, I thought your reply was just spot on. Like, why should I come and parade? I've been there all day. Like, about well, coming out to kind of, hello, everybody. Yeah. Like, it just seems... Yeah, gutless. Like, well, yeah, I just think... You're there, you're having a nice time. There shouldn't be an expectation that you're going to parade yourself out. I don't think that's what you're paying the money for. No, not at all. I think uh, I don't go and buy, you know, Ford Fiesta and expect to meet Mr. Ford. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's not the way it no, is. Right. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think, uh, I don't know, I think there's a perception that people own you. Yeah. And uh, More so for you because you are obviously yeah, very well. well. Look, I went to London at the weekend and I got I stopped five times. And the people I was with, I was with my partner, and she turned around to me and she said, uh, this is uh, happening more and more and more. And I said, yeah, but they're all chefs. Oh, so they, they, chefs. they know, and yeah. And they know that, oh, you're right, chef, how's it going, how's it going? And do you know something? I'll always stop and speak to them mm. because, do you know what, sometimes it's a dark, it's a dark industry, our industry is. Mm. It's, there's not many industries you finish at one o'clock at night and go home on your own to, a, to you know, this is why, you know, mental health and people talk about it and people don't want to talk about it. And, and I think um, we've, we've, we've touched on it today, but I, I, I do believe that you don't have to fight so hard now as you did before. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I do think that we've got, we've got to nurture the talent for the future because... Mm. Um, I'm more proud of the people that's coming through this kitchen that I'm watching grow than I am of the two stars because I just think to myself they're the future. And they're but I the think one. it's a big reflection on you. Massive. Is when I go, look, I, one, my, my old sous chef won the Rue Scholarship last week, and I'll be totally honest with you, I don't think I could have been a prouder person because he he phoned me. I didn't phone him. He phoned me and said thank you, and I thought to myself, do you know something? For all them years that you stood there and. I told you you were this, and I told you you were that, and I told you this, but we never gave up on each other, and you never gave up. And now I look at him and I think to myself, the world's your oyster, sunshine, mm. and you can fly higher than anyone, mm. but it's how far you want to fly, and I mm. think that's, that's yeah. the truth. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a wonderful industry. It doesn't matter what level you're at. I think the end of the day is there isn't another job in this world that gives you the warmth the security and the belief in humans because as a team mm -hmm. you can achieve anything yeah. and it's not about being on your own yeah i think it's lovely
Thank you, Daniel. Thank you very much. You've just finished that <laughs> off so beautifully. Thank um, you. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. You can follow Daniel on Instagram at Midsummer Chef and his restaurant too at Midsummer underscore house. Well, that's all, folks. Series two is done. Huge thanks to all of our guests, Perry, Liz, Gracie, Henry, Clickster, and of course to Daniel. We'll be back very soon with a Christmas special. Until then, eat burgers and be happy. Bye.